Open up your Bibles again to Luke chapter 10 as we continue our study through the Lord's ministry. We look today at Jesus, the guest of Mary and Martha. And we look at verses 38 through 42 of Luke chapter 10. It says there, Now it came to pass as they went, which was likely the route that was laid out for the 70 that were just dispatched before, because as we read at the start of this chapter, that the Lord appointed those 70 to go whether he himself would come. So this is likely the beginning of that same journey. It says, Now it came to pass, so they, uh, as they went, they, that he entered into a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was cumbered. This word cumbered, according to Strong's, means to draw around, to draw away, or to distract. She was cumbered about much serving and came to him and said lord dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone bitter therefore that she help me and jesus answered and said unto her martha martha thou art careful or anxious or troubled with the care of and troubled which also can be translated disturbed or disquieted about many things but one thing is needful. And again, Strong's defines that word as necessity or duty. One thing is needful. One thing is your duty. One thing is your necessity. And Mary hath chosen that good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Heavenly Father, once again, we ask you bless the study. Bless your word. Remove from our minds distraction that we might honestly be fed and prepared for the week that lies ahead. Help each and every one of us to be focused on the salvation of souls, the edification of your brethren, of our brethren, and Lord, that we would live holy lives according to the scriptures. We ask, Father, again, that we be equipped as Bereans to search forever the scriptures for the truth on everything that we have a part and play in, even this continued study here, Lord, that we would see that the scriptures edify these truths that are laid out. We ask, Father, again, you be with your people, be with those who have departed, be with the visitors who continue to be with us, and those that might listen or watch these services. We ask for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This is our first introduction, again, as this study is chronological, this is our first introduction to Mary and Martha. They have a brother that we've spoken of in a few other lessons, Lazarus, uh, and it is the, the brother, Lazarus, that died and was called to come forth. <clears throat> and that hasn't happened yet. But as we see in John 11, the same chapter that has his death, we see a great love that the Lord had for them. Uh, they're, they're located in Bethany. And we read in the first five verses of John 11, and a future event hasn't happened yet. Now a certain man was sick, that is that Lazarus, of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. And it was that Mary which anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore his sisters sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And I read that to you, even though it's out of order as far as context, to show you the love that the Lord has for Mary and Martha. Because what he does here in rebuking Martha can sometimes be taken when it's us as a rebuking without love. But Jesus shows us here in John 11, in John's account, that Jesus had a great love for them. So these words that might be considered hard words for Martha because she's cumbered about are simple correction that he did not provide for everyone. He provided this correction for those he loved. 
The gospel record gives us three glimpses of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Uh, Luke 10, 38-42 that we're looking at now. John 11 that we just read where Lazarus was sick unto death, dies, and is called forth from the grave. And again in John chapter 12, verses 1-11 through 11, where we see this once dead man has a place at the supper table. Each time you find Mary in the gospel, she is in the same place at the feet of Jesus at the mercy, mercy of Jesus. And it's portrayed here in, her, in the first account of her appearance in Scripture that that was the needful thing. That was her duty. That was the good place for her to be, and it shall not be taken away from her. Jesus Christ's own words. This text is a sobering text for Baptists today. As we have many in both camps, a multitude believe salvation is from Christ alone, but continually drive home the fact that there is work to be done. This is a good thing. Even Paul says, as we talked about last week, that it's important for us to have a pattern or a routine of good works. And he says that to Titus in chapter 2, verse 7. But what is the most needful thing? Without the most needful thing, those works are just empty and vain efforts. They're just sacra uh, sacramental efforts toward atonement. But the needful thing, the atoner himself, seeing to him and what he has for us is most important. The first thing we want to discuss is should we be cumbered about? Again, cumbered, according to Strong's, to draw around, to draw away, to distract. Well, we can see from his definition of cumbered that Martha was drawn away by serving. We can immediately say that it is not a good thing in this circumstance. Worldly business is a snare to us when it hinders us from serving God and getting good to our souls. Mary was occupied with Jesus. Martha was preoccupied with herself to the point of even transposing grief on the relationship she had with her sister. All three times that we see these siblings, they are depicted as being close with one another and close with Christ. But there's a division here between Martha and Mary. And what brings it about? It's her being cumbered, her being drawn away, her being distracted, her being, oh, Baptist, we hate this word, her being busy. I hate it as much as you should, because we fall into this snare quite often. It was not wrong for Martha to prepare a meal, because people have to eat if they are to live. But it was wrong for her to be so preoccupied with work and her own burdens that she ignored her guests and was then rude to her own sister. She was troubled as she tried to serve the Lord, and yet she was missing the greatest and most lasting blessing. The Son of God was in her living room, beloved. Who among us would say that tending to Him and hearing Him was not the most important thing of that afternoon? And yet she was missing it. If the Lord were to come to our homes this day, what things would you feel should first be set in order before He comes in the door? Remember, you had no righteousness of your own before He came into your heart. Before He came and knocked and called, you were ever wicked. You are an enemy. You are a sinner. If he were to physically walk into your life, he was already aware of what else was already there. Tend to his teachings. Don't get so caught up in preparedness. Tend to his teachings. Secondly, does Jesus not care that we serve alone sometimes? This is a commonality in the ministry today. Even when we are walking the correct path, we will sometimes find it to be the loneliest. This is true of everybody, not just pastors. God, though, will provide the needful provisions. Look at 1 Kings chapter 17. 
It's one of my pr favorite portions of Kings. I am going to read the entire chapter. 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 1, And Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel liveth before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Get thee hence, and turn thee eastward, and hide thyself by the brook Cherith, that is before Jordan. And it shall be that thou shalt drink of the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed thee thereof. So what he pronounced for Ahab fell upon everyone. Elijah was also impacted. He needed to eat to live. He needed to have drink to live. And our God, our sovereign God, whose sovereignty has not changed in value since this time, provided meat for him from ravens, provided drink for him from the brook. He was cared for. Verse 5, so he went and did according unto the word of the Lord, for he went and dwelt by the brook Cherith that is before Jordan. And what do you know? Ravens brought him bread and fish in the morning and bread and fish in the evening. And he drank of the brook. And it came to pass after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. This is no little thing. What would a raven typically do with bread in its mouth? Eat it down. What would a raven do with fish in its mouth? Its primal urge would be to eat it, to devour it. The Lord literally re redirected the urge of these birds to instead have compassion on his man. Once again, we see a very common fruit from God's working, a compassion even from the animals to answer the call of God. Verse 8, And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Arise, get thee to Seraphath, which belongeth to Zidon. And dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. So he arose, went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, the widow woman was there gathering of sticks. And he called to her and said, Fetch me, I pray thee, a little water in a vessel that I may drink. What an insult this would be to this woman. Listen, verse 11, And as she was going to fetch it, he called to her and said, One more thing, bring me, I pray thee, a morsel of bread in thine hand. And she said, As the Lord thy God liveth, I have not a cake, but an handful of meal in a barrel, and a little oil in a cruise. And behold, I am gathering sticks, that I may go in and dress it for me and my son, that we may eat it and die. Am I misreading that? Am I adding an emotion to that verse that's not there? This is a woman. She's described as a widow. This means her husband died. She has a son. She has no meal or oil to go one more day. She's literally gathering sticks to die. And Elijah said unto her in verse 13, Fear not, go and do as thou hast said, but make me thereof a little cake first, and bring it unto me, and after make for thee and for thy son. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, The barrel of meal shall not waste, neither shall the cruse of oil fail, until the day that the Lord sendeth rain upon the earth. And she went and did according to the saying of Elijah, and she and he and her house did eat many days. And the barrel of meat wasted not, neither did the cruse of oil fail, according to the word of the Lord which he spake by Elijah. So far, beloved, you can trust the Lord is going to provide even by ravens. And so far, you can't really trust the barrel because if the Lord's with it, it continues to provide. 
Many days. She was prepared to die the day he arrived in town, and yet the barrel provided many days. Verse 17, And it came to pass after these things that the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, fell sick, and his sickness was sore, and there was no breath left in him. And she said unto Elijah, What have I to do with thee, O thou man of God? Art thou come unto me to call my sin to remembrance and to slay my son? It's important for us to understand that many days, that's the description of the text, many days before this, she was prepared to die. She had accepted that he, she and her son would both die. But her response in verse 18 is very different now when death was actually upon them. Verse 19, And he said unto her, Give me thy son. And he took him out of her bosom and carried him up unto a loft, where he abode and laid him upon his own bed. And he cried unto the Lord and said, O Lord my God, hast thou also brought evil upon the widow with whom I sojourned by slaying her son? And he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried unto the Lord and said, O Lord my God, I pray thee, let this child's soul come, unto, come into him again. And the Lord heard the voice of Elijah and the soul of the child came into him again and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down out of the chamber into the house and delivered him in, unto his mother and Elijah said see thy son liveth and the woman said to Elijah now by this I know that thou art a man of God and that the word of the Lord in thy mouth is true verse 4 Elijah was hungry and fed the widow woman was preparing to die as she and her son were without resources to live but God provided her aid through his man in verse 16 and the provision wasted not and failed not the boy was without breath yet through faith God revived him in verse 22 does Jesus not care that we serve alone at times? Seems that his presence was felt. You might be alone in this life, away from all other men, but you are never far from God. He created this place. He created all things, including time itself. He is everywhere and at all times, as we described when we talked about his sovereignty. Read Sister Martha's words carefully, beloved. Lord, dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? Bid her, therefore, that she help me. She's seeking to rebuke her own sister. And in doing so, does she not also rebuke the Messiah? Listen to those words. Dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? Who is Martha to rebuke God? And who are you? Because we do the same. Do you not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? How many times do we read the Israelites mocking God as he is literally in the process of delivering them? It is sadly true amongst us as well. She rebukes her own flesh and blood and the Messiah. Why? Because she's cumbered about. She's distracted. She's drawn away from that which is of most value. We do this a lot today. What was the commission? Matthew 28, verses 19 through 20. Go ye therefore, teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Nothing here about straightening out heretics. Is God not capable of such work? Of course he is. He's the one who straightened us out, is he not? There's not a person in here perfect. As I said this morning, I was not drug out of the Catholic Church by a perfect man. I was drug out of the Catholic Church by a perfect God. And a lot of different instruments at his disposal were used to get me where I am now. And I imagine it's the same for everyone in this room. 
None of you were born perfect. None of you born, none of us born with a perfect understanding of Scripture. John 8, verses 31 through 32, Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, They're Jews, not Gentiles. If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. It's implied then that these Jews did not already have a perfect understanding of the truth, is it not? And that these Jews needed to follow him, and they needed to believe on him, and that by doing so there would be a precious truth that set them free. Secondly, cumbering. Cumbering ourselves beyond our scope will cause for us to not only rebuke our own born-again siblings, but we will be tempted to even rebuke God himself. Luke 9, verses 49 through 50, And John answered and said, Master, we saw one casting out devils in thy name, and we forbade him, because he followeth not with us. You can almost see John crossing his arms in a puffed-up, arrogant way. We forbade him. We took care of him. He'll no longer be doing that. And Jesus said unto him, Forbid him not, for he that is not against us is for us. Listen to what Paul says in Philippians chapter 1, verses 9 through 18. And this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. <laughs> Wait a minute, let's, let's move some of these words around, shall we? And, I, and this I pray, that your knowledge and judgment may abound yet more and more. No, love. That knowledge and that judgment has a root of love. Baptists, we need to learn that. As a people, not just as a church, but as a people, we, we need to learn that. We have a lot of knowledge. And we exercise a lot of judgment. But without love, what do we have? What we read in Romans 12 last week about love without dissimulation. A sincere love equips the ministry. A sincere love drives and empowers the ministry. Your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. Knowledge and judgment here are used as a translation of love at its root. That ye may approve things that are excellent, that ye may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. But I would ye should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me, Paul again writing, have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel, so that, the bond, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. And many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ even of envy and strife, and some also of goodwill. The one preach Christ of contention, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bonds, but the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. What then? Notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice." It is my great fear that Baptists today are so busy telling folks who should and should not preach that we ourselves have ceased preaching the gospel. We are so caught up in saying the Arminians are wrong, the Campbellites are wrong, the free willers are wrong. Okay, they're wrong on some things, but our knowledge expresses our love. 
So if we coldly shut them down and we coldly preach only against other people, where's the love? And we all do it. I won't set foot in another Catholic church because I know they're wrong. But are there not people that call themselves Catholics that need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ like I did? We stifle the truth from them that need it most. Every single time we exercise knowledge and judgment without love. Thirdly, should Jesus send away one who has fallen upon his mercy that they should work? Could you imagine that? Jesus shooing somebody away who's fallen upon his mercy that they should work? When we use the phrase choosing Jesus, it is not unto salvation, but rather in the sense that many here is choosing the good part. She could, or Mary here, not many, Mary here is choosing the good part. She could have chosen to be cumbered like Martha, but instead she chose that which was needful. That's what Jesus was expressing there in his conversation with Martha. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verses 1 through 11, we read, To everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under the heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up that which is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to get and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to cast away, a time to rend and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak, a time to love, a time to hate, a time of war and a time of peace. What profit hath he that worketh in that wherein he laboreth. I have seen the travail which God hath given to the sons of men to be exercised in it. He hath made everything beautiful in his time. Also, he hath set the world in their heart, so that no man can find out the work that God maketh from the beginning to the end. A time for all things necessary has been provided, including work. Work has its place. Work is important. We discussed that first for a reason. We talked about it last Sunday, that a pattern of good works be established, that others see God in us, and that he be glorified, as we talked about this morning. But there's also a time for teaching. What is it that the Lord Jesus said unto Peter? If ye love me, feed my sheep. Beloved, we need to be fed. We need to attend to the teaching of God. Matthew Henry wrote that sitting at Christ's feet signifies readiness to receive his word and submission to the guidance of it. It also signifies that we have faith he will give us tomorrow to work, a time for rest when required and a time of rejoicing at his coming. Would he that knows all things not also know that what he teaches us he needs to give us time to exercise? That what he tells us to go and do, we must have time to actually go and do it? Is he not wise in his asking of us? Of course he is. When we doubt these other things and prioritize something over top of time, of that time, we have agreed to come together for worship. How can we then say that we have full assurance of his second coming? We don't even have full assurance that if we give up Sunday for worship, we'll get all the things done that we need to get done by the following week. What a testimony we have as Christians. When we put aside the world and its cares, and we come here and gather in this place for the whole day. And we come back again Wednesday night, showing again that we trust in his provision and in the time that he has given us, that we will accomplish all things that are necessary.
If we doubt that he's provided for the now, how can we truly say that we trust in his provision for eternity? We don't even trust the next seven days. How can we honestly say that we trust that we are indeed saved and will be kept? Matthew Henry again, for one thing is needful, this one thing that she has done to give up herself to the guidance of Christ. The things of this life will be taken away from us at the furthest when we shall be taken away from them. But nothing shall separate from the love of Christ. This is what he says in the closing of that very text, which shall not be taken away from her. Men and devils cannot take it away from us, Matthew Henry says, and God and Christ will not take it away from us. Again, notice how the text ends. Which shall not be taken away from her. Is that not a promise? And it's delivered to Martha. It's confirmed for Mary, but delivered to Martha. This thing. Sometimes we get cumbered about with many works or many things or many tasks because we're worried that it might be taken away from us. We're worried if we aren't most hospitable, if we aren't most decked out, if we aren't most prepared, that we might lose this precious thing. But remember, again, you had no righteousness before he came. You had nothing of value of yourself before Christ Jesus came into your life. If it were based on your preparedness, you wouldn't have been saved. The Lord was not threatening Martha to not try to take this time from Mary. He was simply stating the promise that his people have received. This hope, this provision, this education that God the Father saw fit to make available through God the Son was before them that day. It was the most needful thing. The very purpose of this conversation with Martha was to show her that it was a promise for her as well. We need to remember, beloved, what we do with Christ, the gift of God, the Father, is far more important than what we do for Christ. Submission leads to obedience and service. Let us make sure that our hearts are right. Now, I'm not telling you to make sure the one sitting in the pew with you has a right heart. We have to make sure our heart is right. Mary elected that day that which was most needful. What have you elected? 